Open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the chair in front of you, but I am going to have the text up on the screen. This slide that you see up on the screen right now, this was, oh, maybe a year and a half ago. We introduced this and we said we need to build a new building because we were out of space. After the service, this is kind of an open house. I hope that all of you will walk through every part of our building and take a look at it. And if you go out here and you go up the stairs, you'll see our old auditorium, which is now our new fellowship hall. And if you look around and you say, how in the world did this church meet in that little building? I have no idea. We added overflow with video and we did all kinds of stuff, but we needed this space. And so what we determined was that by faith, we were going to build this building. And it would have to be a step of faith because we're not a wealthy church and we don't have a ton of wealthy people in the building. But God has accomplished something amazing by faith in this place. We have a special person with us today, Maxine Sims, and her husband helped establish Grace Baptist. And Thelma Roadhamel is sitting right next to her. And what I have here, you can't see it very well, but I'm going to read it to you. This was a bulletin. This was a bulletin insert from our church on its sixth anniversary, just six years in. And on the bottom, it has church directory, William Hovestrite, pastor. He was the founding pastor of this church. Herbert Lime was the chairman of the board of trustees. And uh, how, many of you, how many of you are related to Herbert Lime? Stand up. Everybody in here, that's your, that's your family. And just so you know, the Grace Baptist Church would not be the same without these people right here. Thanks. You can be seated. So Herbert Lime was Sue's father right there. And then Herman Roadhamel was trustee and church treasurer. That's Thelma's husband. And what a wonderful connection. Carl Hinkle was the trustees, and Dallas Johnson was the director of music. But I want to read something. It's the bottom paragraph. You can't really see it. Let me read it to you. This is what Pastor Hovestrite wrote on their sixth anniversary. We are primarily anxious that ours be a steady, soul-winning church. We have the message. May we be faithful stewards of this charge. We hope that someday we shall outgrow our present facilities and see the need for even larger quarters. We believe it was no accident in the economy of God that we bought three building lots instead of one when the land was purchased in 1952. Let us have vision. Let us trust God, believing his word and his promises. The mistakes of the past have all been ours. The good things of the past, the present and the future, are of God. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not, Galatians 6, 9. I want you to know something. The message of Grace Baptist Church has not changed. The vision of Grace Baptist Church has not changed. One of the only sad things today is that Pastor Hovestrike can't see this here, but I'm sure that he is seeing it. Isn't that a blessing? that we have this. And I'm very thankful for the heritage that we have here at Grace Baptist. What I love, I don't know if you saw the young people holding the signs out there today. What a blessing it is to have a church with a bunch of young people. That shows there's a future. That shows that we have life. Amen? But this church would not be here without the Maxine Sims and Thelma Roadhamels, without the the Carol Brynicks. I'm sorry to put you in that group, Carol, 
but you are becoming a part of that group. And, so many, and I can't name all of you, the Limes, and there are so many others. The new family. What would Grace Baptist Church be without the new family? And I can't name everyone that is a part of this. And he's not going to like this, but what would we do without Ron Peacock? I try not to mention him because he doesn't like me to, but what a blessing he is to Grace Baptist Church. The men that have come and labored these last few days, these last few weeks, to finish the details. Andy Joins has put countless hours in. Dan New, Doug Schmidtmeyer, these people, Ty Blackford, uh, Justin Yo, and I'm going to leave people out, Joe Spradlin, uh, John Leesner, all of you people, Carl Zimmerman. Carl, how old are you? Ninety-four. Carl Zimmerman came in, wanted to help finish building the building. Ninety-four years old. That's the heartbeat behind Grace Baptist. I just looked over and saw Bill Blakely, our utilities director here in Sydney, and what a help he has been in accomplishing these things. But this was a vision that was established long before Jim Alter ever knew about Sydney, Ohio. This is a vision that the Lord had for Grace Baptist Church. And I want you to think about a couple of things this morning. We are trying to build something eternal here. Can I just tell you something? This is not the end of anything. This is the beginning of something very important. We want to build something for eternity. And the goal here is to build something eternal. But when you build something, you have to have a foundation. We are building something for eternity. When people think about eternity, there are generally three basic responses that people have to the concept or the subject of eternity. The first one is fear. Because you understand that, that you could have a car accident, you could die, and I can promise you this, none of us are going to get out of this alive. Right? Death is coming to all of us eventually. Now, like Woody Allen said, it's not that I'm afraid of dying, I just don't want to be there when it happens. You know, I don't know about you guys, but the idea of death, that's not the most appealing thing to me. And so the only way you get into eternity, because we're mortal, because we're people, the only way we get into eternity is through the door of death. And this concept of eternity, it, 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 people become very fearful of it. If you look at the surveys of people's views on religion that you would find today, many people are now becoming irreligious. They, are, they no longer have a religion. And yet 9 out of 10 psychiatrists would tell you that the number one fear that people have is the fear of death. And so this concept of eternity, people fear this idea of stepping into eternity. Another general response is doubt. What's going to happen to me when I die? Can I be good enough to go to heaven or am I going to go to hell? Or are even heaven and hell real things? Doubt. Uncertainty about what's coming. Uncertainty about the future. And then there's another, and it's denial. I'm not going to think about that today. Or denial that there is an eternity. How many of you have ever heard someone say, when I die, that's all there is? You ever heard somebody say something like that? Well, Jesus proved that's false because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And here's the thing. Those three responses to eternity, fear, doubt, and denial, it doesn't matter which of those you may be considering when you think of eternity. It doesn't matter which one you are thinking or which of those feelings you have. It doesn't matter. None of that has anything to do with your eternity. How do we build? 
How do we build something eternal? This is the first message. I'm going to preach three more messages, God willing, on this idea of building something eternal. But if we're going to build, if we're going to build something eternal, we have to have a foundation. If we're going to build something eternal, we have to have a foundation. I don't have the video with me today, but we have a video of what happened in this, on this land when we came to build. Man, they did soil samples, they compacted things, they pounded it down. We have a thick slab that you're sitting on because you can't have a building. Your building is only as good as its foundation. What is our foundation at Grace Baptist Church? 1 Corinthians 3.11 says this, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The foundation of this is not concrete. The foundation of Grace Baptist Church is the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our message. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. And in laying our foundation, Jesus did several things. And we have a text. Look at uh, Hebrews chapter 2. And if you don't have a Bible with you, I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. All right, so what is that? We're, the, when you have a child, your child is flesh of your flesh and bone of your bone. Your children are flesh and bones just like you. They, they're a part of you. For, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. This is talking about Jesus. <clears throat> He also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. So that's our text for today. And look at the next verse. And to deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. We're going to look at that text just for a minute. The first thing that Jesus did in laying our foundation was he became one of us. Do you see that in our text? He didn't become an angel. If you, in verse 16, it says, For verily he took not on him the nature of angels. He didn't become an angel. In verse 14, it says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. He became one of us. Now I want you to think about something. Imagine if you were able to be transported to another planet... And that planet was made up of nothing but ants. Just a planet full of ants. And you cared about those ants. You cared about those ants so much that you said, you know what, I'm going to go to that planet and I am going to live my entire life for those ants. But not only did you do that, you had the power, you had the ability to actually become an ant. Now, how many think this is a weird story already? Seriously. Okay, Pastor Jim, where are you going with this? And not only did you become an ant, but you died for the rest of those ants. Now, if I told you that was my life's goal, first of all, you'd think that I was nuts. But secondly, you'd think, why would you die for a bunch of ants? I mean, I spray raid on ants. Not only did Jesus become an ant, imagine if you were going to be that ant throughout all eternity. See, what Jesus Christ did was he stepped into this world, and the difference between Jesus and you and me, the difference between God 
in you and me is much greater than the difference between me and an ant. And what God did, he not only created us, God the Son became one of us. Why did he become one of us? Why did he do that? Why would anyone do that? He became a man so he could die. You see, God's eternal. He cannot die. He doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an ending. He's eternal. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5, Jesus said, Thou hast prepared for me a body. Why did he prepare that body? Because in the same passage it says, for, Because in the blood of bulls and goats you weren't satisfied. Sin requires a sacrifice. That sacrifice must be sinless and perfect. The problem is we are not sinless and perfect. We are sinners, all of us. And so we couldn't pay our own price. So Jesus Christ became one of us so that he could die. That's why he came. That's the song. The songs that we sung, the power of the cross, not guilty. All of that is because Jesus Christ knew the state that we were in and he condescended to become one of us. And then he died in our place. You know what the amazing thing is? He rose from the dead. He didn't stay dead. And he is going to be in that body for all eternity so that we can see him, so that we can worship him, so that we can observe the nail prints in his hands and the nail prints in his feet and the scars on his flesh that he suffered, that he endured, that he received for us. See, in laying the foundation, what did he do for us? He became one of us so that he could die. In verse 14, it says that through death, that through death, he became one of us so he could die for us. But what did that death do? Look at what it says in our text again. I want you to think of something. Look at the text. It says, verse 14, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. Look at that through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. You know, we think of Jesus Christ's death as a tragedy. And, you know, from our perspective, it is. Can you imagine someone that you love that much being killed in front of you, being tortured that way in front of you? But the Bible says that before his death happened, he met with Moses and Elijah on the, on the mountain. And you know what they were talking about? The death that he would accomplish. That's what the Bible says. The death that he would accomplish. You see, the death of Jesus Christ wasn't a tragedy. It was an accomplishment. And what did Jesus Christ do? He accomplished salvation for all of us. When Jesus Christ died, he destroyed death. Why? So that we don't have to fear eternity. He destroyed the power of the devil. Not only did he become one of us, not only did he destroy the power of the devil, but he delivered us from the fear of death. That's the first response that people have to eternity. Look at our text. Verse 15. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. He has delivered us from the fear of that death. Can I tell you something? I, I was joking with that Woody Allen line about dying. And I really don't want to die. My kids are here. They just got home from college last Saturday 
And I love spending time with them. My wife is here. I love spending time with my family. My brother is here. My much less good-looking brother is here. And his beautiful wife, Tanya, is here today. And I love spending time with them. I absolutely love. I think it's wonderful that I can have such a close relationship with my brother. Sometimes families grow apart, and we haven't. We actually didn't like each other very much as kids, and it was a bummer. He's a lot bigger than me. He beat me up all the time. He'd take my toys, and we're going to all take him behind the building because you guys are bigger than him. We'll do that after the service today. Let me tell you something. We were poor, and we, we really, there were times there was no food in the house. We were very poor. And I wanted to play baseball. My brother's a little bit older than me, so he had a job. So he bought me my baseball glove and my spikes. He got me my first car loan, and I didn't pay it on time, so it was repossessed. (laughs) And it was on his credit. Isn't that terrible? (laughs) That's what what my brother did for me. I I don't want to leave. I don't want to die. I want to be here with you guys, with my friends, with the people that I love the most. I want to be here with my family. But here's a really cool thing. I'm not afraid of dying. I'm not afraid. And it's not because I'm a good person. If if my eternity were based on how good a person I am, oh my goodness, God would take me to hell right now. You see, Jesus Christ's death, that's what accomplished my salvation. That's what has freed me from the fear of dying. I don't want to die today. But if I did, it would be okay. That's our hope. That's what we have. When Jesus died, he freed us. He delivered us from the fear of death. Not only that, but he made us free. I I like the the song that Maureen sang today, not guilty. Not guilty. Now, here's the deal. We are guilty. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible says. Then the Bible says, the wages of sin are is death. And then the Bible tells us that we can't be good enough, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of works, it is the gift of God. By faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. The Bible says in the book of Titus, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. See, there are a lot of people that go to church so that they can go to heaven. I was preaching in Texas with my friend Dalton Robertson, and he said this, there are more Baptists in Texas than will be in heaven. Now, you know, 90% of Texas is Baptist, in case you didn't know. He said there are more Baptists in Texas than will be in heaven. What was he saying? Becoming a Baptist never took anyone to heaven. So if you're here... And you're saying, well, this seems like a nice church. They have a nice building. And in spite of the pastor, I would like to be here. Being in this church is not going to take you to heaven. It's it's not. There's a baptistry behind here. And, you know, I know that a a lot of the churches in our area, they sprinkle babies. We immerse people. We dunk them. Right? And when we were building the building, some of the contractors said, what's that tub for? If I took you up there right now and baptized you in the water, all that would do is make you wet. It's not going to take you to heaven. That's works. The only thing that can take you to heaven is the blood of Jesus Christ. It's faith. This is our Lord's Supper table. We, we have the Lord's Supper and we take communion. That can't take you to heaven. That can't take you to heaven at all. 
that's evidence that Jesus Christ has saved you already. It's a testimony that Jesus has saved you already. He made us free. Look at what the, look at what the text says again, verse 15. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. See, we're all slaves to sin. We're slaves to sin. Jesus Christ wants to make us free. He wants to declare us not guilty, not because we can be good enough, but because Jesus died on the cross. Let's go back and read the whole text again. Verse 14, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So what did he do? He became one of us. He destroyed the power of the devil. He delivered us from the fear of death, and he made us free. So I've got a question for you. Oh, let me read this from Erwin Erwin Luther there. It's Erwin Lutzer. He said this, The mission of Jesus, to put it simply, was to free us from the fear of death. Isn't that good? The mission of Jesus, to put it simply, was to free us from the fear of death. Jesus came to turn an enemy into a friend. A terrifying journey into the anticipation of a welcome reunion. You know, every time I preach a funeral, we have Aaron and Eric Edwards here, and I'm at the funeral home often preaching funerals. And what I often say, so if this were the casket, I often say this, one of the saddest things that you can do to your family is have them walk by your casket and not know where you are. See, Jesus died on the cross so that all of us can go to heaven. None of us in here are any better than anybody else. None of us deserve to go to heaven. And I could start from today and try to be the perfect person. First of all, I couldn't do that. Secondly, it couldn't pay for what I had done in the past. So if the Lord doesn't return and my children walk by me in this casket, do you know what they can know 100%? Their Father's in heaven. Here's what it says in 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of Jesus Christ that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know. Fear. Doubt, denial, you don't have to have any of those. You can have absolute confidence and knowledge that Jesus Christ is your Savior. I'm thankful that this enemy of death can become a friend and that the terrifying journey turned that into the anticipation of a welcome reunion. I've got a son that's in heaven. His name's Riley. He died when he was four and a half months old. I want to see what he looks like. You know, I want to see him. It's going to be a wonderful reunion. My mom's there. My dad's there. I want to see them. You know what I know? Here's what's so fun. I know they're there. Not because they were good people. They were people just like us. But because Jesus Christ was their Savior. And they testified that Jesus Christ was their Savior. So, here's the question. Maureen's saying, not guilty. If you were standing before God right now, would he say to you, not guilty? Or would he say, like it says in Matthew, depart from me into everlasting darkness. I never knew you. Those are the only two options. How do you get the not guilty? By saying this, 
I'm guilty. Jesus, please take my sin. Jesus, please be my Savior. My my baptism won't save me. My communion won't save me. My good works won't save me. My mom and dad can't save me. My going to church can't save me. Jesus, only you can save me. You can be free today. How many of you are already free? You know Jesus Christ is you're already free. Look at this, folks. Look around. You ever ask somebody, do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? You get this answer, man, I hope so. If you ask me, are you going to heaven? Praise God, yes. Boy, you must really think you're something. No, but Jesus really is. <laughs> he is a great and a wonderful Savior. I want to finish with this. If we're going to build something eternal, Isaac, come on up and help me. You know what's about to happen. Okay, so I like nice pens. This is a Mont Blanc pen. It's really stupid to spend that much money for a pen. Young people, don't be like your pastor. Okay? Really nice pen. I'm going to make this pen a gift to you. What do you have to do to make it yours? Just take it. Now, in order to keep that, you've got to wash my car every week for the next 10 years. Why'd you give it back? Because it's not a gift. Thanks, buddy. You can't work for a gift. If you have to do something to keep it, it's not a gift. How many of you ever signed up for something free at a store and found out it wasn't really free? That's not salvation. Salvation is free. It's free. Will you receive it today as a gift? See, here's what I know. Let's all stand together. We're done. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. You people believe in Jesus. I would imagine everybody here believes in Jesus, believes in the death, burial, and resurrection. I would imagine that you all believe that. But do you believe that it's enough? That's the question. If you believe that you have to help him by doing things, then you believe that your salvation is based on your faith and your works. The Bible says, not by works, but by faith. It says it so clearly. It says, if of works, then not of faith. That's what the Bible says in the book of Romans. Today is the day. And here's what you have to do to go to heaven. It's so easy, you won't believe it. You believe that Jesus Christ is God, born of a virgin, died on the cross for you, rose from the dead, and ask him to save you. That's it. That's the gospel. If you would believe that today, you also can be free. Let's pray. Lord, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve your salvation. We don't deserve anything. Lord, thank you so much for bringing all these friends here today.